Amen. That is truly good news. Father, thank you for that song and not just the music, but the truth in it this morning. Um, We stand here before you uh, with anticipation and joy and excitement um, and in transparency and honesty that we don't have to hide, we don't have to pretend. Thank you that uh, because of the shed blood of Christ and you've made a way for us to come freely before the throne of grace, that we don't have to wear a mask this morning. But that we come before you as we are and we say once again with all that we are, Jesus, here, here we are. Use us, change us, do in us and through us whatever you want to do because our life is yours. You bought us with your precious blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring us to the Father. You gave your Holy Spirit to not leave us as orphans, but to always be with us, that we would never for one millisecond be separated from you. As we move towards ever-increasing joy in the fullness of your presence when we see you one day. Have your way this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. Grab your Bibles, Romans chapter 8 today, verses 5 through 14. We will be talking about the Holy Spirit, and excited about that. Um, Pray that you would open your heart, do your best to open your heart to what he wants to do today, as we do every Sunday, 8, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as always, uh, the reading of your word, we just, we read it. We want to believe it, we want to declare it, and then we just look to you for help. So please help this morning. Father, open the eyes of our heart that we could see. Lord, I I thank you for the miracle of how your Holy Spirit does that in our lives. You take the word and you make it living. You make it come alive and you cause us to see. I pray that many of us would see things perhaps we never saw before. Um, And Lord, that its effect would be that it would change us into the image of Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Uh, So one of the things I'll do sometimes with people that I 
meet for the first time or I'm getting to know or I get to have coffee with, if I know they're from around here, is I'll shake their hand, like, hey, you know, good to meet you, chat with you, whatever, and then I'll just go, which one are you? And they're usually like, which one are you? And they look at me for a second, and then I go, Miller or Yoder? And I, it, it works about a little over 50% of the time, I'd say. Um, you know, we, we, many of us share last names around here. Um, Miller, you know, we're slowly trying to take over, by the way, in case you don't know. Um, Miller is one of those names, though, that, like many last names or, or surnames, it's, it's derived from an occupation. Uh, so Miller, you know, at some point way back, um, the original Millers were people who worked at grain mills. They were literally Millers. You know, there's a lot of last names like this. Weaver would be another one. They were Weavers, you know. Archer, Brewer, Carpenter, Carver, Potter, Shepherd, Shoemaker, etc. Um, the, the name uh, reflects uh, their occupation, what they used to do. Now, through the years, of course, I have never ground any grain of any sort before in my life. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, the name, of course, stays, but uh, the occupation or the purpose to which it points uh, may, may taper off through the generations. But that is not true in regards to the Holy Spirit and His name. Um, his name, the Holy Spirit, still and always will perfectly throughout time reflect His purpose and His occupation in the world. Is the Holy Spirit exists to make God's people holy. Amen? That's what, that's what He does. Um, as I mentioned last week, as we get into chapter 8, up until, or in chapters 1 through 7 rather, the Holy Spirit was only mentioned about three times and then about 18 to 20 times here in chapter 8, depending on how you count it and some of the pronouns and things, it, the Holy Spirit is, is, is mentioned. And so the Holy Spirit uh, is the primary person of interest um, in this chapter. And understanding the nature of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life um, and what he desires to accomplish is absolutely of the utmost importance, and to not understand the nature of what he wants to accomplish is going to leave you frustrated and confused in your Christian walk, which is why I believe many Christians are frustrated and confused in their Christian walk, is because we, we don't understand that the first thing that the Holy Spirit is given to do is to make us holy, it is to make us like Christ. Um, our salvation, our redemption is very much uh, Trinitarian, in nature, uh, the Holy Spirit is given to, to cleanse your life to the glory of the Father. It was the Father's good pleasure to choose a bride for his Son. That bride is the church. It was the good pleasure of the Son to purchase the, the, the bride that the Father had chosen for him at the cost of his shed blood. And it is the good pleasure of the Spirit to purify the bride that was chosen and bought, purchased by the Father and by the Son. That's what he wants to do in our lives, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And what we're going to look at this morning is kind of the nature of how the Holy Spirit goes to work in our lives to change us, to make us holy, to make us purified, ready to receive the bridegroom one day when he comes, 
when he comes for us. And there's kind of three movements here through the text, and you'll see these words uh, repeated um, in each section. It's, it's kind of obvious, but it's the idea of thinking, dwelling, and living. Thinking, dwelling, and living. That the Holy Spirit wants to shape our thinking, he wants us to embrace his dwelling in us, and he wants to lead our living. Thinking, dwelling, and living. So first of all, in these first couple verses, verses 5 through 8, um, talking about the way that he wants to change our thinking. When the Holy Spirit goes to work in your life, he goes to work on the inside, in your heart, mind, and soul, and he's going to change you from the inside out. Okay. Now just notice here this little phrase. Um, he says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. So that's, that it's, it's, it's one word. It's, kind of a, it, it's an interesting Greek word to try to, to try to capture. It's the idea of like, of like a mindset or an attitude or an outlook. It definitely includes our thoughts, but it's more than just cognitive. The, the root word phreneo and the root, and the root word phren, it's, it's the root word phren is literally the, the, the word for diaphragm or midriff. But it, it's the idea of like the, the center of our person. It's the idea not just of our mind, although it includes the mind, but it's the idea of the entire soul, the inner, the inner man, okay? That part of us that makes us human, created in the image of God, the eternal, unseen part of us. And he says that there, there's two types of people. There's those who live according to the flesh, of which even if we know Jesus is Savior, we were once a part of at one time. We were all born into Adam. And those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That when the Spirit comes into our life, he's going to begin to change the way that we think. He's going to begin to change what is dear to us, what we value, what is important to us. Now, we all lived in the flesh up until we came to know Jesus, and so we had a certain way of thinking, of believing, of priorities, of values that were intrinsic to us. But when we become born again, those things change. But again, we're not, we're not used to it. And so the Spirit is now at work in us to help us um, set our minds on these things. It's kind of like, if you can imagine a Democrat becoming a Republican, or maybe a Republican becoming a Democrat. We hope not, but, um, sorry. Um, I couldn't help myself. It's just, it, it's the idea of this, this, this mindset. Democrats think like Democrats. Republicans think like Republicans. Um, it's the idea of setting the whole mind now on what is important to the spirit. Again, the little phrase, to set the mind on the things of the spirit. That God has things on his heart and his mind that are his priorities that need to become our priorities. Amen? Jesus said very clearly, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Is that the spirit wants to go to work in our life to change the way we think and to fix our minds on the things of Christ. Now this is of course going to be in accordance with his word. The written word was inspired by the spirit. And so absolutely don't hear me saying two separate things like there's the word and then there's other things that the spirit wants to set your mind on. Those are one and the same thing. But the spirit is given to us 
to help us to understand truth and to think differently, to prioritize the things that God, that God wants to prioritize. And, and here's the big thing that I, that I want us to get for this, from this, because before we go on, we have to understand that if we want to live spirit-filled lives and, and, and have change outwardly, we have to understand that the direction of our life is going to be determined by the posture of our heart and our mind. What is the posture of your heart and mind this morning, right now, in this moment, towards the things of the Spirit of God? Did you come in here hungry? Did you come in here thirsty, longing for what God wants to speak to you? What an amazing privilege we have and how little we value it at times. Now just going to church again. Just come, this is what we do on Sunday mornings. That God, very God of very God, He's given us his spirit, and he wants to speak to us. Um, there's, a, there's a story that I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with in the Gospels of Mary and Martha. It's a, just a very brief story, these, these two sisters. It says in Luke chapter 10, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care about my sister that she has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Is that you see here in these, two, in these two sisters, these two kind of pictures of what it means to live with the mind set on the spirit or the mind set on the flesh. Is that Mary is sitting with the posture that I think Paul is, is wanting to describe here and talking about how the spirit wants to set our minds on the things of the spirit. Is that she's simply sitting at Jesus' feet waiting to receive because she knew that she needed to receive. That first and foremost, before God asks us to do anything for him, he wants us to receive from him. And this is to continually be the posture of our heart. And Martha, on the other hand, and here's the kicker, is that again, Jesus was, get this picture, Jesus was, was in her house, Martha was aware of his presence, and yet it wasn't about him. It was about her, and it was about her agenda. You see, and this is where even as Christians, we can live so many times. We acknowledge Jesus. We know he's in our home. We know that he dwells with us. We know that he's resident, but we're just not willing to allow him to be president, to allow him to be in charge, to allow him to set the agenda. Instead, we actually petition him at times to get done what we think needs to be done. This is not the idea that Paul's speaking of here when he says that the Spirit is going to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And notice here that when you can just work it backwards and look at some of the fruit, and I'm sure many of us are familiar with the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Um, last week we talked about how the Spirit that wants to set us free and help us to walk in the righteous requirement of the law, which is love. Here we see that the Spirit comes and the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. So when, you don't, when you're not experiencing life and peace, my, my, uh, my question would be, is your mind in that moment set on the Spirit? 
You're like, well, Eric, you don't understand. Things are really difficult. Please hear me, brother or sister. You know, like, we all go through it, and we go through it together, and it's okay to be real, and it's okay to be raw, and it's okay to be honest about when you're struggling. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Okay, is that as I read, read the Bible in places like the book of Acts where even like um, Paul and Silas, they're, they're in prison, they'd just gotten beaten, they were wrongly accused, like that's a bad day, right? It's not a good day. Yet what were they doing in the midst of the inner cell of the prison? They were singing hymns and praise to God. That no matter what the circumstance was outwardly, the Spirit was in them. The Spirit came to set them free, which is why no matter what your circumstance is, you can still experience freedom in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, their minds, the inner state of their soul was one of life and peace. And I'm telling you, this is what is offered to us. We are not slaves to our circumstances, amen? Is it difficult? Do we have to pretend like it doesn't hurt? Absolutely not. But we are not slaves to it. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, and, who, and the Spirit of God comes to apply that freedom into the life of the believer. And so if you're not experiencing life in peace, your mind is probably not set on the Spirit, and you need to stop acting like Martha, and you need to go sit like Mary. Like, what, what do you want me to do? Isn't this what we do? When things begin to get chaotic, we go, what do you want me to do? How do I fix it? Just sit down. Just sit down, amen? Just sit down. Be like Mary. Chill for a second. And allow Jesus, allow the Spirit of God to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. The life and peace, it's the idea of flourishing and total tranquility. And again, if we're going to live Spirit-filled lives to the glory of God, we have to be aware, at least, of the inner state of our soul, of our inner life. There's something I want to say here that's very specific, and this has just been on my heart this week as I've been, as I've been meditating upon this thing. Um, and it, it applies to all of us, but if you, like, just young people, like teenagers, I don't know, if you're a young person, whatever, you get to choose if you're in that category, can, can I just shoot real straight with you? And I'm, and I'm telling you this out of love, okay? I, 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 if I was you, I understand that what I'm about to say, I might sound like some sort of crusty old guy that's just grumpy, but I'm not. I'm just, telling, I'm just telling you, the reality of following Jesus and of a biblical worldview is this, is that there is real evil in the world. The devil is real. Evil is real. Darkness is real. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will take, he will take whatever you allow him to take. And I'm just, I'm just shooting straight with you, and I'm not trying to be legalistic, I'm not, you know, I don't know, but I don't know what else to say. Is that you cannot spend, you cannot spend eight hours a day in front of a screen and on social media and five minutes a week in the word of God where you're going to find what the things of the spirit are and have your mind be renewed and not expect there to be an influx of darkness in your life. I'm, I'm just telling you. Like, like we, and I'm telling you that in love. Again, I'm not I'm angry, I'm not mad. I like, like I love you, but, but just look at, look at what you do. Look at where you spend your time. 
If you're constantly being given the message of the world, and again, we're going to get it regardless, but we're just, and you're just soaking it in, and you spend no time getting into the Word of God and, and asking the Spirit of God to renew your mind on those things, and then we experience the darkness that we experience, it's, it's not a mystery as to why. The devil is real, the battle is real, but Jesus has equipped us in a real way with the reality of his Holy Spirit in us, amen? And it's enough, but we gotta stand up. And again, you know, if you guys think that I'm picking on the younger generation, like adults, it's the same thing. You can't spend the majority of your day just thinking about how to make money and how to get ahead and then let five hours of Netflix wash over you at night and expect that the darkness isn't gonna grab a hold in your life. It's, it's, just not, it's just not the way it works. Um, and God has given us his Holy Spirit to be able to start to renew our inner life that then it might come out of us. But it starts with this heart posture of being like Mary and desiring, choosing, just like Mary chose, choosing to sit at his feet. Now, one of the things that he's going to change our thinking on is he's, he wants to change our thinking on this reality of how he dwells with us, his dwelling, okay? So look at verse nine. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Dwells, dwells, there it is. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you see this word dwell there three times, and it's a very specific, intentional word. It's the Greek word oikeo. Um, the root word for oikeo is oikos, which just means house. Okay, And so Paul is trying to say something specific here um, with some imagery to it. it it's, he could have just said, the spirit is in you. It's in, it, it, it is in you. Um, but he says more specifically, the spirit dwells in you. And it's, it's this verb that would bring imagery to mind about how the spirit is now moved into our life. And he's dwelling in us as though he's dwelling in a home. When we, uh, well, a couple months ago, we went uh, to the Smoky Mountains when the boys were on spring break, and we stayed in an Airbnb, okay? And it was a nice little, you know, Airbnb or whatever, and, uh, you know, we hung around the Smoky Mountains, and it was cool. Anybody been to Pigeon Forge lately? Pigeon Forge, is, I, this is totally random, but um, Pigeon Forge is a weird conglomeration of buildings, is it not? I keep telling people it's like Las Vegas meets Myrtle Beach meets the Swiss Festival. Um, it's, just, it's just weird. Anyway, but we hung around down there for, you know, a week, and it was cool. We stayed in this Airbnb. Now, here's the deal, though. Though that was our, we, we, though we stayed there for a time, that was, that was not our dwelling. That was not our home. You know why? Because there were a lot of rules. Like, we couldn't just go in there like, ah, I don't like this wall color. I'm just going to paint it. All right? I mean, that would have been... Frustrating as an Airbnb owner, if that would have if that would have happened, why? Because I did because I don't own it. I was just using it for a time. Guys, you've got to understand the Holy Spirit isn't in you j just for like a test run. You, you, your your body, a temple of the Holy Spirit, um, it's it's not a cheap vacation rental. It's not an Airbnb, and He's not just testing you out to see whether or not he's going to stick with you. He is absolutely going to stick with you. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. Amen? 
But the reason he's going, not ever going to leave you is because you were purchased with a price and you belong to Jesus. And what that also means by extension is he's going to paint whatever he wants to paint. He's going to rearrange whatever he wants to rearrange. And if you don't like it, he don't really care because he is ultimately working for your good. Do you know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, they know what is going to bring you more joy than what you think will bring you joy? Do you know that? We think we know what will bring us joy, but we do not know. And God, in his goodness, you're like, well, I know, but I thought the Holy Spirit was always going to be working for God's glory. Yes, the Holy Spirit is always going to be working for God's glory. But God's glory and our joy are not at odds. Is that Jesus came to purchase a people for himself who are zealous for good works, who are passionate about serving him, and who are waiting for his return. And so he's going to come into your life to dwell there. And again, this whole like 9 through 11 here in the middle of this passage, it's really this conglomeration of, of promises that Paul wants us to understand. Is the Holy Spirit, he's not going anywhere. And how many of us live, I think, with this fear is that we trust in Christ. And again, we, we don't always put it together that the fact that there's no condemnation as we looked at last week for those who are in Christ Jesus and then, yeah, he's given us the Holy Spirit, and what a privilege. But I sinned, and I messed up, and I did something really bad. The Holy Spirit didn't come into your life because you, were because you were good to begin with. You didn't do anything to earn his presence. It's by grace. So therefore, your performance is not the basis on which he's going to remain and to dwell with you. He's dwelling with you because of what Christ did for you. And so he's never going to leave you or forsake you, and he's going to be committed to you. But he's going to change some stuff. He's going to change some stuff. And so he comes in, and the first thing he begins to change, as I already said, is he's going to change the way that we think. And he wants to lead us to life and peace. Now, now look, there's just some really good theology in here. We got, we got to get this. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Then he continues the thought further, verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, so we should know this, but just in case we don't, and it's okay if you don't, maybe you've never heard this before, but there is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. It's very important. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, which is to say, if you don't have him, then you don't belong to him. Okay, It was the Holy Spirit that was drawing you to him, performing this work in us, causing us to be born again, and now we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So the Holy Spirit is in us. Now this is, this is pretty important because um, many people want to teach even within the broader circles of Christianity, that we need to go looking for a second experience, a second baptism, a second work of grace of the Holy Spirit that's often, that is often um, sought out through finding some guru to lay their hands on us and pray for us and is often evidenced uh, as by speaking in tongues or some sort of uh, outward manifestation. That's not true. It's a lie. 
If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian that does not have the Holy Spirit. Also, notice here the variety of terms that Paul isn't just, he's not doing this just because he gets bored with one. He's doing this on purpose. But notice here, he calls him the Spirit. And then he says, the Spirit of God. And then later on in verse 9, he says, the Spirit of Christ. And then in verse 10, he just says, if Christ is in you. So you've got the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and then Christ himself being in you. He's referred to later in verse 10 as the Spirit of life. He, he, here's the point is because, and I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be crude, but I don't know how else to put this because I feel like this is how many people treat the Holy Spirit, is that many times it's like you got the Father and the Son, and then you've got the Holy Spirit that's kind of like the weird uncle, that you don't know what he's going to do when he shows up to family gatherings, and he's just kind of weird, and he's a little bit embarrassing. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crude with that, but I don't know how else, to, how else to put it, is that's how many people treat the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. So when we look at the character and the nature of the Father and of the Son, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. Not a bunch of wacky weirdness where you flop on the ground. That's not what it's about. What is the Holy Spirit's primary occupation? He's wanting to make you holy. He's wanting to make you look like Jesus. And it is nothing short of blasphemous, much of the stuff that goes on in the name of the Holy Spirit, when in reality it is a spirit, it's a demonic spirit, it's the spirit of the Antichrist, which 1 John chapter 4 clearly says that many spirits have gone out into the world and not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. But, you know, we don't want to do that because we don't want to judge anybody. The Bible says we're to be discerning. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come and, and he, he's going to produce the character and the love of the Father and the Son in us. Not just do weird things for the sake of doing weird things. He wants to bring life. He wants to bring flourishing. Now this is over and against some of the verses that we, I read already. <coughs> as, you, as you compare this, <coughs> excuse me, to the things of the flesh. Um, the flesh is hostile towards God. It ends in death. It does not submit to God. It cannot submit to God. And it cannot please God. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, and again, there's, there's a, a more concise list in, in Galatians chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit that many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with. But here, just in this passage, again, we saw last week, he wants us to fulfill the law. What is the fulfillment of the law? It's love. It's life. It's peace. It's hope. Look at this idea of the resurrection in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's promising us this. That there's absolutely going to be resurrection life. And when we believe that there's going to be physical resurrection life someday when we physically die, it produces resurrection life in us now. To have hope. And again, where, where the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to the things of God, what does the Spirit want to bring about? The opposite of hostility. Love and embracing the things of God. He wants us to submit to the law of God. 
to submit to all of God's good commands that are for his glory and our good and for our safety and for our well-being. And where the flesh cannot please God, in Christ Jesus, as we walk lives that are, walk lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can please God. That's not works-based righteousness. It's Christ in us. Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then he says this, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We can please him as we walk in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, not to make much of us, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. This is what the Spirit wants to bring about in our life. But guys, he's dwelling with us. He's in us, and he is totally committed to this project. Amen? If you guys have ever watched, you know, some of, like on HGTV, some of those shows or channels, every now and then there's some of these shows where I remember one I used to watch was Homes on Homes. Anybody ever watch that? And many times this guy would come in after people had had bad experiences with shady contractors. Not that there's any shady contractors out there, but you know, they would come in, maybe get a down payment, I don't know, begin to do some demolition, tear things down, and then they'd take the money and run, right? And so he would come in and he would, he would fix things and be committed to the project of seeing it through to the end. Folks, the Holy Spirit isn't a shady contractor. <laughs> He's didn't, he didn't dig into this renovation in your heart and in your life and go, ah, you know what, I'm just, this is too much work, peace, I'm out. No. He, he is committed to you. In fact, the Spirit's commitment to staying with you and to changing you is as certain as his commitment to working for Christ's glory. That might not really sound really cool, but I'm telling you, that is theologically beautiful. The Spirit's commitment to staying with you and to changing you is as certain as his commitment to working for Christ's glory. The Spirit is always going to be at work to work for the glory of Christ and the glory of the Father. And they have set their affection on you, and so the Spirit is there to do, to do the same and to apply it. But here's the thing that I, I want you guys to get, is that one of the keys to walking in the Spirit, and again, all these good promises that are in this section, is that the key to walking in the Spirit isn't just first to understand the priority of your commitment to the Spirit, but to understand with certainty the Spirit's commitment to you. That He is here to dwell with you and to be with you. And what that means is just like if you've just been in a season, just real practically, maybe the season was like three days, maybe the season's been a week, maybe the season has been several months. Whereas a believer in Jesus Christ, you've not been heeding the things of the Spirit. I'm telling you right now, right now, right now in this moment. If you just acknowledge that and say, okay, Jesus, I'm sorry, I want to trust you, boom, the Spirit's back, like he, he's right there. He wants to walk with you and take you forward in Christ. He, the Holy Spirit, while he's given, he will convict us of sin and we can grieve him and we can quench him. He, he's not there to just beat us up. Do you know that? Like when you sin and when you turn away from following him, his job 
he's not, he's not there just to condemn you and to remind you about how you screwed up. He's there to take you again back to the cross, remind you that everything's been paid for, and to go forward in life and in peace. Such good news that in regards to this whole gospel, again, the Father plans it, the Son performs it, but the Spirit applies it in our lives. Okay, so thinking, dwelling, and now this, this living, that he wants to lead us in a new way of living. Look very carefully at the beginning of verse 12. In the ESV, it's the little word, so then. Okay, uh, the exact same word would be therefore. Okay, so whenever you see therefore, the writer is about to give an implication of all that just came before it. Okay, or like, here's a conclusion, or he's basically saying like, therefore, here's the point. Here's the implication. Here's, here's the response. And he says, therefore, or so, so then, and here's his point he wants us to get. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Okay, and now another way to say it, some of the English translations, and I kind of like this a little bit better, um, it is, literally is the word for debt here, but some of the English translations will say, um, therefore, brothers, we are under no obligation no obligation. It's the same thing. If you have a debt, you're under obligation to pay that debt. And so the idea of no obligation. But again, and you might expect him to say, so then, brothers, we are debtors to the Spirit. And that is implied, and he kind of gets there. But the thing I want you to see is, what he's actually saying is, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. Not to the flesh. Paul's implication, his takeaway, his intended response that he wants for us in light of all that he's just previously said about how the Spirit wants to renew our thinking and understand his dwelling is he wants us to understand that we owe the flesh nothing. We owe the flesh nothing. Once again, we are free in Christ Jesus. The flesh is not our master. It was in charge at one time, so much so that no matter how hard we tried in and of our own strength, we could not please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but not anymore. We owe the flesh absolutely nothing. We are set free, and I think we need to press this into the way that we talk, into the way that we have conversations. What I mean is simple little things like this is that if you have placed a simple childlike faith in Christ Jesus alone for salvation, then the Spirit of God dwells in you. And you may still struggle with some things, but let me, I want, to, I want us to speak biblically about it. And what I mean is this, is I'm sorry, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are not an alcoholic. You are not an addict. You are not a rageaholic. You are not who your father was. You are not who your mother was. You are not what other people say about you. You are a child of God who has a new life in Christ. The Spirit of God is now living in you forever to transform your life to the glory of God. That's who you are. And it's important that we speak this way and that we understand it. Now, is this transformation, is this transformation a process? Absolutely. 100%. Will there be times when we feel like we've gotten stuck? You bet. But even when we don't see him at work in every single moment, it does not mean that he isn't at work. Because again, he has come to dwell in us and to be with us. And the blood of Christ has been shed, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But again, Paul's primary, and Paul's primary exhortation here is that we owe the flesh nothing. I, I want to tease out 
an illustration of this that I, I, it's been very helpful to me. I, I hope that it's helpful, um, and, but it's going to take a second, but, so just, just hang with me, okay, because some of you might be familiar with this term, some might not, um, but it, it's the idea of codependency, okay? So codependency is a technical term that was first phrased or, or first kind of coined or used back in the 1970s to describe family members of people who were addicted to alcohol, and the, the description or term codependent was used to describe pe- these people who would display dysfunctional behavior by seeking to adapt to the destructive behavior of the alcoholic, okay? So, for example, um, where the alcoholic is dependent upon alcohol, the codependent is dependent on being needed by the alcoholic. In other words, they feel an unhealthy sense of debt or obligation to protect the alcoholic and not allow for good and right consequences in their life that might change the alcoholic's behavior, okay? Now, so it might look like this, and this is just one little simple illustration of it. Um, The manifestations of it could be many. Um, But it might look like a man who is addicted to alcohol and is constantly hungover and so he's late for work, and so his wife lies for him, that's the dysfunctional behavior, she lies for him and covers for him and calls his boss and just calls him off as being sick. You understand? Okay? They need to be needed by the other person. It's a codependent relationship that's exhibited um, by dysfunctional behavior. Okay? Here's what I think Paul is saying in this passage. What he's saying, in essence, is that every one of us has a codependent relationship with the flesh. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his shed blood, the fact is is that we have been set free. Because here's the thing, if you have ever seen anybody who's in any type of a codependent relationship, whether it's with somebody who struggles with alcohol or whatnot, if you know that person and you see the dysfunction in their life and the codependency, that they have upon the other person and covering for them, what do you want to yell to them in love? You want to say, you owe them nothing. You are under no obligation. You are not their debtor. And that's exactly what Paul's saying to us here, you understand? Saying in regards to the flesh, he's saying, brothers and sisters, you are not obligated to the flesh. You've been set free. Why have you been set free? Because Jesus died and he paid it all. We owe the flesh absolutely nothing. And again, he wants us to walk in this freedom now. And see, many of you, like, and, and please, not just many of you, like many of us, like myself included, I, I see this battle in me all the time. And again, you see how these all work together, the thinking, the dwelling, the living, is that it starts on the inside, that I believe a lie. The reason you sin is because you're believing a lie in that moment that you have to. Or sometimes that you just, you love it and that's who you are. This is, you know, this, maybe this struggle's been in your family. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's just originated with you, but this is who you are. You're a sinner, so you just, you gotta give yourself over to it. You owe the flesh nothing. You have been set free. It's that simple. And so again, this idea 
of being set free from the power of the flesh, thinking that we are debtors to it or that we are obligated to it, is one of the things that Paul wants to change our thinking on. Now, how will it happen? It will only happen as we live moment by moment in humble, childlike dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look here, what Paul goes on to describe, he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, we're not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is only by the Spirit of God that we have power to overcome the flesh. And every moment that we give in to the flesh, we go back and we, revert, and we revert back to being like Martha rather than Mary. We revert back to, yeah, the Spirit's in the house. He's there, but come on, it's about me, it's about my agenda. No, and we're anxious and we're worried about so many things and the flesh begins to take over. But as we live in the power of the Spirit, He's going to put to death the deeds of the body. Now, if I can, if you've ever seen what I described earlier, just practically in terms of like codependent relationships and different things, it's very hard. It's very hard for the codependent person to, um, to not be there in a dysfunctional way for the other person that they're codependent upon. And it feels like they're being mean, <laughs> but they're not. And it's easy to see from the outside, but not when you're in it. And again, this idea here, like the spirit though, he doesn't, this is where the analogy breaks down because in like codependent relationships, what you want is not codependency, but a healthy interdependence, okay? But in regards to our codependency as I framed it in terms of the flesh, <laughs> he doesn't want there to be ever dependence, any dependence ever, what does he want to do to the flesh? He wants to crucify it. And again, brothers and sisters, we, we have to embrace this. Is that what the Spirit comes to bring about in your life is life, is peace. But how does he bring that life about? He brings it about through death. Through death and resurrection. But it all comes down to this. If you will just surrender control, if you will just surrender control. Stop running around like Martha. Just go have a seat at his feet. He wants to bring life in you. Worship team, you can come up. We're gonna close. And if you would, would you just bow your heads with me for just a second? And I just wanna ask you a couple questions about what we talked about already this morning. First of all, what, what is the posture of your inner man, your inner woman, your inner being. What is the posture of your heart this morning? Are you running all around like Martha, telling Jesus what you think he needs to do? Or is the state of your heart, of your soul, one where you're just sitting? And if you've been a Martha, listen, <laughs> there's no condemnation. But just by God's grace right now, right now, not five minutes from now, not in a couple days, right now, just stop. Just stop. 
Just tell the Holy Spirit right now that you want him to fill you and to be in control. Ask for forgiveness for setting the agenda. And he's in you. He's waiting. He loves you. He's always ready to take you forward into life and into flourishing. I wouldn't doubt that some this morning, even as believers in Christ, you feel you're in a season where um, you feel like God has most certainly probably left you because you've been really bad. <laughs> you've done some really bad things. I'm telling you, he's here to stay. He came to dwell in you. And if you have simply called upon the name of the Lord, put simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, the Holy Spirit is in you, and again, he's there, he's ready. He wants to let you know this morning just how much he loves you. Because the blood of Christ was enough for all your sin, past, present, and future, the sins you committed before you were a Christian and the sins you commit after you're a Christian. It's enough. Maybe this morning there's one thing, I wouldn't doubt that it's something specific, maybe not. But there might be one specific thing, one area of your life that you're just not willing to surrender control to. You still, you're, you're maintaining this dysfunctional relationship with the flesh. You're codependent upon the flesh. You think that you need it. You think you got to be there for it. Brother, sister, we've all been there. I promise you I've been there. But I'm telling you the truth in Christ Jesus. You are set free. You owe the flesh nothing. Allow the Spirit to take you forward in surrender. And if you fall back into that old way again, come back to him again. The most powerful being in all the universe lives inside of you to purify you and make you ready to see Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these precious truths this morning. We thank you for the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work of the Holy Spirit in us, God in us, very God of very God living in us. Lord, I, I pray that you would take our lives and that you'd mold us and shape us, help us to think differently. Father, I pray that you'd meet us with your presence and with your power and transform us again. We love you and we thank you so much for your great and precious promises that you give us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys stand with me.